Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. If I haven't met you before, my name is James, or Jimmy. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at at Gateway Olmo. And if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, you know we're in a series called Blessed. Essentially what we're doing is we're going through uh, these eight Beatitudes statements and we're unpacking them week by week. And you see the Beatitudes um, kind of start off one of Jesus' most famous sermons, yeah? The Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is kind of unpacking for those who are listening what the kingdom of God looks like. He talks about this upside down kingdom where the first will be last, the last will be first. And he starts off with these Beatitudes and they're eight blessed statements. So blessed are the such and such to such and such. And essentially these, these statements, I like to think of them as kind of like the values of the kingdom of God, right? They kind of shape the culture of what the kingdom of God will look like. They describe the characteristics of a person who is living in the kingdom of God. And so we've been unpacking these eight statements week by week. We, we kind of got a little bit out of order. And so this morning we're jumping back into the third statement. You find it in Matthew 5, 5. It simply says, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Other translations substitute the word meek for humble or gentle. And it's interesting because meek is a, is a word that we don't use a whole lot in society or in culture today. Like, I can't, for me, I can't remember, I don't know about you, but I can't remember the last time I prayed to God and said, God, would you just make me more meek? I want, I want meekness to be one of my attributes. If, if you go to a job interview and they say, hey, what are the strengths? What are you going to bring to the team? I highly doubt you're going to say, well, hey, I'm a really meek person. You see, it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not a word we use a whole lot in society today. And so as we unpack what this statement means, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. Firstly, and mostly, I want us to unpack, uh, unpack what is meekness? What is this biblical principle of being meek? What does it look like? And, and to do that, I actually want us to look at what it doesn't look like to be meek, right? Kind of the opposite. We're going to unpack what it looks like to be meek by unpacking what meekness doesn't look like. I don't know about you, but for me, when I hear the word meek, the first word it makes me think of is weak. And I don't think it's just because they sound the same. I think something in my brain, when I hear the word meekness, I think, okay, cool, it's, it's weakness. It means weakness. And, and, and to understand this concept in, in terms of what Jesus is saying, maybe it means that blessed are the weak for they will inherit the earth. You know, that, that doesn't sound right. It kind of goes against our, our construct of what it means to, to inherit things or what it means to be um, powerful. Blessed are the weak, for they will inherit the earth. You know, our social, society today, we, we reward power. If you want to get something, if you want to inherit something, go out and do it. Go out and conquer it. You, gotta, you know, it's the strong who survived. Back in Jesus' day, if you wanted to conquer land, you know, it's the person with the biggest army, the person with the most money, the person with the best battle strategies. Our society rewards power. And so, blessed are the weak, for they will inherit the earth, kind of seems back to front. But then we look at this, this Sermon on the Mount and what Jesus is talking about, right? And he's talking about this upside down kingdom where blessed are the first will be last, the last will be first. And so, in the context of what he's saying, maybe in our mind, sometimes we go, okay, blessed are the weak, weak with a W, for they will inherit the earth. It, it seems back to front, but maybe that's what Jesus is trying to say, because it's this upside down kingdom. And I reckon that's where I've just left it for most of my understanding and for most of my life. But this week, as I've been unpacking what it looks like in this statement, what it looks like to be meek, I actually don't reckon that's what Jesus is saying. I don't think he's saying blessed are the weak, for they will inherit the earth, because the reality is, is that meekness doesn't mean weakness, right? Meekness isn't weakness. 
You see, the English word for meekness actually originates from a Norse word, which has far too many consonants and not enough vowels for me to want to pronounce for you today. But essentially, that Norse word translates to another word really meaning gentle. And so it kind of aligns meekness and gentleness together. And I don't know about you, but if I hear the word gentleness, it makes me think of softness, it makes me think of weakness. And so we still don't quite get the broader picture. And so to unpack what meekness really looks like, I want us to go back even further to the Greek origin of the word, which is, as some of you would know, the, the language that this um, book of Matthew was originally written in. And so the, meek, the Greek word for meekness, or the Greek word for meek is this word called praus, or P-R-A-U-S. I don't know how to pronounce it, but I'm Australian, so I'm going to say praus. Right? Maybe it's the Bogan way, but I'm going to say praus. And see, the word praus doesn't really mean weak. It doesn't even really mean gentle alone. The word praus actually kind of encapsulates this idea of a gentle strength. Yeah, it's an oxymoron, this, this soft strength, this gentle power. Another, another way to look at it and how it's also translated is, is as power under control. Right? So meekness is power under control. There's, there's strength, but it's not overbearing. It's not aggressive or self-seeking. And this word meek actually in Jesus' day was used to describe things like a trained war horse, right? They would train their, their horses up for battle and they would train them up to be meek. They would train them up in meekness. And essentially, you, you think about it, you, you compare a trained war horse to a, a, a wild horse, a, a free-range horse. There's still the same power there. Their legs are still muscly. They still do... I assume they still neigh, right? They still do horsey sort of things. But the difference is, is where the power is found. For a wild horse, the power is free range. It goes and does whatever it wants. Um, it, it does its own thing. And, but for a trained horse, for a war horse, the power is actually at the hand of the master, right? The power of that, that horse is under control. It's used to serve the master. And so this idea of meekness is, is rather power, but it's under control. So meekness isn't weakness. It's power under control control. You see, Jesus isn't saying that it's the weak that will inherit the earth, rather those who are powerful but are still willing to submit. You see, just like in Jesus' time, this word meek and today still just isn't a very sexy word. As I said, it's not really a word you probably describe yourself by. I, I probably don't want to be described as like being a horse, you know what I mean? It's like it's, a, it's, a, it's a, not a really sexy word and it actually makes me think of this picture, maybe this will help you, of those ginormous elephants that, that, are, that are trained to, to stay in place with that little post and the little piece of string on their leg, right? Because of the, the trauma of how they've been brought up and, and chained and stuff like that, we see these ginormous elephants with all this power, but they won't move and they won't break this rope because they've been trained to submit. They have this incredible power, but they're trained to submit. The other thing it makes me think of, and this might resonate with you more, is that the, the Hollywood version of like that muscly slave Right, think Russell Crowe in The Gladiator. Like that's what I kind of think of. This dude who's full of muscles, right? He's jacked. He can battle. He's he's a he's a war hero. He knows how to fight, but still he's chained and and he's submitted and and he's used to serve his master. You see, meekness isn't a sexy word, not something you want to be described as. And it's the same as in Jesus' day. Actually, in Jesus' day, they had an ancient Greek saying that said that the strong will do what they will and the, the weak will suffer what they must. Yeah, the strong do what they will and the weak will suffer what they must. And so I guess what Jesus is saying is kind of the opposite of this, right? The, the people who will inherit the earth are the strong, who don't do what they will, but actually submit their power, who, can, who, who have their power under control. See, meekness isn't weakness, but rather it's power under control. 
You know, I reckon there's something really important. There's something, about, there's something really powerful about knowing that you have that strength, but then choosing to submit it. There's something really powerful about knowing you've got it, but then not exerting it. You know that you can be strong, you can be aggressive, but you've got it under control. You don't actually have to prove anything to anyone. And I reckon that's where that other translation of meekness, the humble translation, I think it's the NLT, it says, blessed are the humble for they will inherit the earth. I reckon that might be where it comes from because you have the strength, but you don't have to brag about it. There's no pride and there's no desire to prove it or assert it. You see, meekness isn't weakness, it's power under control, but meekness also doesn't need validation. There's no need to prove itself. There's no need to prove its strength or demonstrate it over another person. You see, me, me and my daughter, Zoe, she's two years old, we try and do a five-kilometre walk most. We have like a little route that we go around Ormo. Um, it's dark now, so we don't do it as much as we, we want to after work. But there's this five-kilometre route, right? And at the, like three-quarters of the way through, we end up at this big cricket pitch down at the back of Ormo near the, the sugarcane fields. And Zoe's favourite game at the moment is we'll grab, we take this little soccer ball with us and I'll kick it as far as I can, which, to be honest, isn't super far. But then her favourite game is, like, she doesn't want to catch it, but she wants us to race and see who's going to get to the ball first. And, um, like, don't tell Zoe this, but if I wanted to, I could annihilate her in that race, you know? <laughs> like, she's two years old, she's got little legs, she's, she can't run that fast, she gets speed wobbles still. I put her in shoes that are way too big for her, she trips over them, she stops to take them off. I could destroy her in that race. I'm way faster than, than Zoe. But you see, the thing is, is that it's not as fun to do that, right? If we were to race and I went full ball, it's 20 minute, 20 meter race, I'd beat her by 15 meters. There's, there's no desire in my heart to want to do that. I don't have to prove to Zoe that I'm faster than her. I know that I'm faster than her. And so what I do instead is we keep it competitive. We run together, we run side by side. If Zoe stops to take her shoes off, then I pretend to fall over. We keep it competitive because it's more fun like that. It's more fun like that. And so we run side by side. Um, don't get me wrong, I still win every time. <laughs> She needs to learn resilience some, somehow, right? <laughs> and maybe part of me needs that validation. We'll, we'll keep working on that. But there's no desire in my heart to, to, to brag to her, besides that little bit, about how much faster I am than her. I don't have to prove to her that I'm heaps stronger. I don't have to prove to her that I could annihilate her in a running race. There's, just, there's, there's no need to do that. I've got nothing to prove to her. And you see, the meek don't need validation. There's, there's no desire in their heart or no need to prove anything. The meek don't need to prove anything. And Eugene Peterson does, like in his paraphrased version of the message, he, he writes this about this verse in Matthew 5, 5. He says, you are blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. And that's the moment you find yourself proud owners of everything that you can't be bought. So I like how he phrases it there. You're content. You don't need more. You don't need any less. You see, meekness doesn't need validation. Instead, it's content. You have enough. You don't need to prove anything. You know what you have and you know that it's gonna be enough. You, you don't need the validation from others because actually your validation comes from something greater than that. There's no need to prove. You know that you've got enough. There's something about the meek that they're content because they know with whatever they've got, God is gonna come for their defense. God is with them. And so meekness doesn't need validation. Instead, it's content. The, one, the next thing that meekness isn't is meekness isn't passive. 
And maybe you've been hearing everything that I'm saying, you're like, okay, well, great, if I want to be meek, I'm just not going to do anything. I'm not going to try hard. That's not what meekness is either. Meekness isn't passive. It doesn't mean that you don't need to do anything, but power under control, but it's not passive. Well, with the example of Jesus, he's, a, he's a, uh, the perfect example of what meekness looks like, but man, does Jesus get stuff done. You know, Jesus is doing stuff all of the time. You see, the meek person still stands up for justice. The meek person still opposes wrongdoing and fights for what is right. But in doing that, they actually trust their own defenses to God. Right? They fight for other justice. They fight for justice, but not for themselves. They trust their own defense to God. Their strength isn't used to further their own kingdom. It's actually under control and used for the kingdom of God. You might have heard of this guy called Aristotle. He's a, a, a Greek philosopher, I'm going to assume, with a name like Aristotle. Um, but he says this about the prous, the prous person. He says, The prous person, the meek person, is the one who feels anger on the right grounds against the right person in the right manner at the right moment for the right amount of time. That's a lot of rights, yeah? Right? It's a lot of conditions. But notice he doesn't say that a meek person never gets angry. He doesn't say that a meek person is passive and never does anything. You see, the meek person isn't always, isn't always passive. There's actually a right time and a right place to stand up for justice. And being meek doesn't mean that you just let abuse keep on happening to you. That's not what I'm trying to say here at all. It doesn't mean that you have to keep putting up with the injustice of the world. But it does mean that you need to in- respond intentionally in the right way. You see, meekness isn't passive, but it actually responds righteously. Yeah, it responds in the ways of God. You see, a prouse person, a meek person, doesn't react impulsively. Rather, they see clearly and respond intentionally. They see the situation with clarity and respond effectively. If the situation calls for gentleness, then the meek are gentle. If the situation calls for strength, then the meek are strong. If the situation calls for patience and, and discernment, then the meek are that as well. You see, they respond righteously. They respond intentionally. But the hard thing is, is that the right response is very rarely the easiest response. It's not always the one that feels best for you. It doesn't always bring you the greatest reward. It, it doesn't always get you further. It doesn't build up your kingdom. It, it, it acts in the interests of God's kingdom, right? It acts in the interests of others. It builds others up. And you see, there's this story of, where Jesus talks about what it looks like to respond to the injustice of our world. And he says that, hey, if someone comes to you and they slap you on the cheek, turn to them and give them the other cheek. If someone comes to you and they're going to sue you for your shirt, give them your cloak as well. I reckon that's Jesus painting a picture for us of what it looks like to respond righteously. You see, the right response often doesn't benefit us. It doesn't benefit you to get slapped four times on the face. It doesn't benefit you to give up your cloak on a cold day either. But I wonder if maybe when we go that extra mile, when you go that extra mile, when you, when you turn the other cheek, when you offer your cloak as well, I wonder if what's actually happening is that you're beginning to expose that injustice to those around you. You're not, you're not passive. You're not just letting it go, but you're responding in a righteous way. So in doing so, you actually expose the evil. Okay, what was that? You slapped me in the face, that's bad. Why don't you do it again? And as that happens, the people around you actually begin to notice. The world sees that stuff and it brings it into the light. You see, the thing about evil is that it has this way of exposing itself and destroying itself. And I I get that that can be challenging and, and maybe you're here this morning and you're saying, James, that's all well and good, but actually it doesn't feel like anyone is seeing me in that moment. No one's seeing the injustice. Maybe you feel alone in that. You keep turning the other cheek, but you're just getting hurt. It feels like you keep losing. And I acknowledge that's a really, really tough place to be. That's a, that's a hard place to live out of. 
But the encouragement I want to offer you is that it's, it's not the case that no one sees it. You know, God does see it. And we know that God's the one who's keeping, so, keeping score. He sees the injustice. He knows what you were walking through. And through Jesus, he, he says that it's the meek who will inherit the earth. And so if that's you in this, in this space this morning, I want to encourage you to take encouragement from that picture that John sees um, about the new heaven and the, and the new earth. What, what does it look like at the end where everything is reunited? And I reckon the more we see that picture, the more we can focus on that, the more, strong, the more strength you will have to respond righteously. You see, when you care more about what God sees than what, than what others see, the easier it is to respond righteously. Doesn't mean it's gonna be easier, but the easier it is to respond righteously. You see, the meekness, meekness isn't passive, it responds righteously. And the last thing meekness isn't is meekness isn't self-assertive. See, it doesn't assert your will over others. I reckon the prime example of this is obviously Jesus. If we want to understand what it looks like to be meek, the person we should be looking to is, is obviously Jesus, the one who says, blessed are the meek. Because it's, it's this person, it's Jesus, who in all of his power came to earth, born as an infant, in a stable. Right? He's the ultimate example of what it looks like to have power under control. And in the end of the book of Matthew, we see Jesus is in the garden with his disciples and the soldiers come to arrest him. He's betrayed by Judas with a kiss and Peter's there and he's got a sword with him, right? And so we read this. This is what happens in Matthew 26 as the soldiers come to take him away. It says that then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions, um, the other gospels tell us that it's Peter, reached for his sword, drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? And then Jesus was taken away. It says that they brought him before the courts and all that sort of stuff. But in this story, I just want you to imagine for a moment, can you imagine like the, the face of shock on Peter? But here's this king and he's like, all right, this is my guy. We've got to defend him. We know that he's right. He's going he's to redeem us all. We've got to defend him. We've got to stand up for him. But here's Jesus saying, hey, I don't need you to do that. You see, Jesus is, is, is saying it's not about the power. I've actually got the power to, to do it. I don't need to prove anything. I don't need you cutting off people's ears. It says he's got 12 legions of angels. I have no idea what number of angels that is, but it sounds impressive, right? That's a lot of power. But in Jesus' instant, it's power that's not self-assertive, right? It's not self-serving. He displays meekness. You see, the self-assertive person always wants things to go their way. Sometimes there's almost this sense of entitlement. No, I need it to go my way. I deserve it to go my way. Often the self-assertive person can be the one who's the strongest or the best with words or, or the smartest. And it, 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 It's this person that, that believes that they deserve it their, their way. They push their own agenda. And you see, in the kingdom of the world, this works. It's really effective. It's the prideful person who gets what they want. And the reality is, is that unfortunately at times we actually all fit into this category. Often at times we all push our own agenda. We use whatever it is at our disposal to help us to get ahead in life more, to get more money, to get that promotion, to find validation amongst our peers, to become more popular because in our minds that's how we get ahead in the kingdom of the world. You see, these things aren't inherently bad, but these things also aren't found in the kingdom of God. 
The self-assertive might inherit the kingdom of the world, but Jesus says that in his kingdom it's the opposite. It's the meek that will inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the kingdom of God. You see, meekness isn't self-assertive. Instead, like Jesus, it's selfless. It's selfless. We get back to that story in Matthew. Jesus is captured. He doesn't utilize his power. And if you know the story, you're like, if you didn't know the story, you'd be like, okay, cool. We've we got this main character. What's he going to do to save the day? How is he going to assert himself? How is he going to save himself? How is he going to exert his power and serve his best interest? But what happens is the soldiers, they take him before the court of the Sanhedrin. And in this court, a bunch of the people are trying to find a reason to, to kill him, to get rid of him for good. And so a bunch of people bring what they call fault with false witnesses, they bring a bunch of lies. Someone says, hey, I think he said he was going to destroy the temple, but that kind of doesn't line up with what some other people are saying. Eventually they land on, all right, well, didn't he say that he's the king? But we we know that Caesar's the king, so maybe there's something we can work with there. And so what they do is they bring it to the Roman governor, they bring it to Pontius Pilate. And in this instance, this is the dude who's got the perceived power, right? He's ruling over these people. He's got the power in his mind. Everyone is watching, right? This is the guy who's got the power. He's going to decide what to do. And so the Jews are trying to accuse Jesus and saying to, because they don't like him preaching the kingdom of God, they're they're saying to Pilate, hey, he says that he's king. He's wanting to overthrow Caesar. You better do something about it. And so what happens is Pilate asks him, and this is, I'm going to read from the book of John. It's actually in all the gospels. But Pilate says, well, are you the king of the Jews? It says that Jesus answers and says, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. And Pilate says, Well, you are a king then, aren't you? You are a king. And he goes on to ask Jesus, Where do you come from? But in this moment, Jesus doesn't answer. He stays completely silent. So Pilate says, Do you refuse to speak to me? Do you realize I have the power either to free you or to crucify you? You see, Pilate's asking, hey, why don't you stand up for yourself? Just, just engage with this in me and we can save you. Why don't you stand up for yourself? He's trying to give him a chance. But Jesus answers by saying, you would have no power over me if it was not given to you from above. So Jesus is saying, the only power you have over me is what God has already given to you. And if it's what God has already given to you, then I'm going to trust myself to God's plan. I'm trusting myself to God. He trusts his own defense to God. He's not being self-assertive. And, and if you know the rest of the story, he's actually putting the kingdom of God before his own life, before his own kingdom. You see, meekness isn't self-assertive, it's selfless. Jesus held the power of the universe at his fingertips. He had legions of angels to call upon, but he doesn't assert his power. Instead, he submits himself to God's plan in a selfless act. You see, we've all been given power, obviously not the same power as Jesus, but we all hold power. There's power in our words, there's power in the way that we communicate with others, there's power in our actions. Both of these things have hold power and they have effect on those around us. Even more than that, some of you hold power of influence in your workplace, you know, in your family, in the community around you. Some of you have influence in your church right here as well. But I want to ask us, what does it look like for you to hold that power in the same way that Jesus held his? What does it look like to hold on to that power but not assert it to benefit you but to benefit others, to serve his kingdom, to use the powers that you have for the kingdom of God? Because that's the power of the meek. You know, there's this great quote that I like by this guy called N.T. Wright. And he has, he's a great theologian, one of my favorites. He has this to say about the meek. He says, when God wants to sort out the world to put it to rights once and for all, he doesn't send in the tanks as people often think he should. He sends in the meek. 
And by the time the high and mighty realise what's happening, the meek, because they are thinking about people other than themselves, pardon me, have built hospitals, founded leper colonies, looked after the orphans and widows, and not least founded schools, colleges and universities to supply the world with wise leaders. You see, it's through, the, it's through the meek that the world is changed for the kingdom of God because the, weak, they, they aren't, the meek, they aren't weak, right? They're, they're powerful. They just have that power under control. They aren't seeking validation. They're not wasting time trying to prove to others why they are good. Instead, they just get carried on with the mission of God and what God's got in, got in store. They aren't sitting by passively, idly watching the world go on by them, but instead they're responding righteously in the ways of God. They aren't building their own kingdom. They're not asserting themselves in every situation. Instead, they are selflessly building the kingdom of God and by that the world is changed they're the people who will inherit the earth that's what it looks like to be meek you see Jesus was meek as as Christians part of our journey is we want to become more and more like Jesus we want to become more like him and the reality is that you won't be you're not God you're not part of the Trinity you're not going to be exactly like Jesus, there's a bunch of ways that we actually fall short of, of his values and there's a lot of ways we fall short of the glory of God, but that's why we need to be so grateful for this gift of grace that we get to walk in. See, it's the reality of our human nature, it's the reality of the kingdom of the world that it actually just doesn't lead us towards meekness, it leads us towards our own um, building of our own kingdom. But it's by the grace of God and, and by the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, not the Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit that we get to walk in meekness. By the gift of the Holy Spirit, we get to walk in meekness. You see, it actually says it in, in, the, in the fruits of the Spirit, right? The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. That's that prouse word and self-control, right? It's one of the gifts of the Spirit, gentleness, prouse, meek. It works in our lives as we walk in step with our Father. That's why we're grateful for grace. And so as we land our service this morning, we're actually going to do so by taking up um, communion together. See, there are, there are a bunch of different ways that we each fall short of the kingdom of God. I mean, if we just look at this one beatitude, if we just look at the value of meekness, we know that we can be self-assertive. We know that we can do things to find our own validation. We know that we can respond in the right way. We know we fall short of the kingdom of God. And the reality is, is that you won't always be meek. And because of that, you shouldn't inherit the earth. Because of that, you shouldn't be a part of the kingdom of God. Of God, because of because of sin, because of the fall of man, because of the things that we do wrong, we've separated ourselves from that inheritance. But because of God's great love for you, He sent His one and only Son to Earth to live among us as fully human and as fully God, a sinless life, so that when He was crucified on a cross, when Jesus chose in meekness to not defend Himself, He carried the weight of all of our sin and shame. He paid for you and for me an atoning sacrifice so that we might be united with Christ and seated with God, so that we might be made a son and daughter of Christ and a beneficiary of our inheritance through Him. All right, that's good news. And so as we close the service this morning, we're going to take part in this, this tradition that's been taking part in churches for thousands of years called communion. And it's an opportunity for you to remember Christ's sacrifice. Around the room, you'll see that we have tables of bread and, and, and juice. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to come up and grab some of that bread and grab some of that juice and go back to your own seat. And as you do that in your own time, I encourage you to take, to take that bread, eat it. But as you eat it, eat it in remembrance of Him. In remembrance of that sacrifice of, of his body broken for you. 
And then when you take the juice, take it, but drink it in remembrance of Him. Remembrance of His blood poured out for you. You see, we all fall short of the Kingdom of God, but through Jesus, we're given the opportunity to enter into His Kingdom again. So take a moment to thank Him this morning. Come before Him as you take communion and say, sorry, I'm sorry, God, for the times I've fallen short of the value of meekness, for the times I've fallen short of Your Kingdom. Allow allow yourself to sit in that and allow yourself to sit in the forgiveness that is found because of His sacrifice for you as well and then thank Him. So in our own time, we're going to do that. So when you're ready, why don't you come up right now, grab the bread, grab the juice, do that in your own time. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.